That is Tin Tenabulation. That's our Teen Handbell Choir. Thank you very much. Very much. That is something I wish I could do. A couple weeks ago, I told you this series was going to be about how the Bible's red letters, the words of Jesus, might be applied to the issues that most dominate today's news headlines. Um, Since uh, prejudice and conflict between races is so easily seen in so much of today's news, two weeks ago we looked at how Jesus stood up for the inherent equality of the races in his story of the Good Samaritan. That was in Luke chapter 10. Last Sunday, since the, the question and really the rejection of the value of human life is so evident in what's making news in these days, we saw how very important human life is to God, according to Jesus, in Matthew 6. On both of those Sundays, I also gave a list of the titles of news stories proving the newsworthiness of those topics, if any of us needed to be convinced of that. Um, I also might mention that both the inherent equality of the races and the supreme value of human life are and have always been unashamed positions of our church and our denomination. The Free Methodist Church actually in many ways was created because of those positions. Today, and today only, I depart from my normal mode of operation. Uh, Though our text today is certainly biblical, it does not include directly the red-letter words of Jesus. Uh, And neither am I going to list titles of specific news stories. Although we all know our topic today lies somewhere behind many, if not most, reports of accidents, assaults, neglect, abuse, and murder, as well as behind so many of the decisions and the comments that people make that cause trouble, either moral or legal, or both. Just the same, the news stories themselves do not usually explicitly state that the problem occurred because of the influence of alcohol or some other drug. To say that Elon Musk made a senseless comment that caused widespread hurt, confusion, and even financial loss is often in the news. To say he was high on marijuana when he made it is not popular, not politically correct. And so that fact, if it's true, never makes it in the story. It is not culturally acceptable to report that the beating of the child occurred because the mom had drunk two bottles of wine that evening. Or that the shaking of the crying baby to the point of brain damage happened because the father was high on meth. Or that the child was in the street in a diaper in January because both parents had passed out due to heroin overdoses. It's not popular to report 
those things. It's not popular to report that the reason for the brawl in the street that sent six to the hospital or the reason for the car accident that killed three and injured five was because somebody involved had a blood alcohol level of 0.2. And one reason that it's not popular to report those details is because of the widespread and increasing popularity of drugs, and especially alcohol, in our society. But just the same, many, many, many times, that is the reality behind the headline. The subtitle of today's message, Peace, is because that is what those who use drugs of various sorts are ultimately searching for. Inner peace, emotional peace, mental peace. Now that is called a lot of other things in our society. Uh, Calming of nerves, courage to face the day, easing of tensions, winding down, loosening up. And on and on and on. But the core of all of those rationales for drug use is a person's search for peace. And that search is very, very real. And drugs, including alcohol, are the go-to solutions of more and more of our American culture. The enormous damage they cause, however, is why the Free Methodist Church advocates for abstinence from any influence that has the capacity to impair one's judgment and or to create addiction. Our church advocates that people find the peace we need in Jesus instead. So here's the sermon in a sentence, okay? Though it may be permissible Scripturally, to use alcohol, it is not, as the Apostle Paul might say, beneficial because of, number one, the damage that it does, number two, the culture in which we live, and number three, the leaders Jesus calls all of his followers to be. Now, let me make a couple disclaimers. I realize that it's very easy for me to advocate for abstinence since I have never been seriously tempted to drink or do drugs. I, I grew up in an extended family that was almost entirely free from alcohol. It's, I've never been around it. It's never been around me. So it's been very easy for me to avoid. I also recognize that that's not been the case for everybody here. And so I sympathize with both those who have suffered alcohol's destructive effects And those who developed addictions to it due to its pervasiveness in your world. Also, you will probably hear me say the word alcohol through this a lot. But know that when I say that, I intend to include all the rest of the mind-altering substances. Okay? And let me say, too, (laughs) that views about alcohol use can be polarizing in the church. And I don't mean to polarize, and I don't mean to be divisive. We may wind up disagreeing, and as far as I'm concerned, we're still friends, okay? 
What I say is an opinion, but it is one that, though not often presented, and and actually less and less frequently presented in our society and in the church, it's an opinion that needs to be presented in our culture, because it's one I truly believe is scripturally wise in order to live the best lives possible as followers of Christ in our age and in our context. So all I ask is that you hear me out. What does the Bible say about the use of alcohol? Since the Bible's word is is sort of what we're about here. Um, Some in church history have tried to say that the Bible prohibits drinking alcohol, claiming that Bible wine was not the same as ours, or that the only reason they drank wine back then was because the water was polluted or something like that. The truth is, it's not really possible biblically to make an honest textual case for abstinence from alcohol. In fact, alcohol, and wine in particular, was understood to be a sign of God's blessing in many places in Scripture. I'm not going to name them here, but all you have to do is a simple search, and you'll find lots of examples. In fact, the two places where Jesus and alcohol intersect directly are first where Jesus himself created wine out of water at the wedding at Cana, and second, where he says that others charged him with being a drunk, which is hard to imagine if Jesus never drank at all. The Bible's clear. Alcohol was a part of life in Jesus' day. And there's nowhere in Scripture that makes alcohol use the litmus test for true Christianity or for true godliness that some through history have tried to make it. So let's be honest about that. Just the same, though, there's more in Scripture about the use of alcohol. Uh, In Proverbs which is a book on wise living, remember, we get three images that are designed to temper our enthusiasm for alcohol through presenting the reality of its effects. The first is in Proverbs 23. If you want to flip back there, we'll be in Proverbs. Proverbs 23 is the first place. If you look at 23, verse 29, the writer asks, Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaints? Who has needless bruises? Who has bloodshot eyes? Those who linger over wine. Verse 32. In the end, it bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. Your eyes will see strange sights and your mind imagine confusing things. You will be like one sleeping on the high seas, lying on top of the rigging. They hit me, you say, but I'm not hurt. They beat me, but I don't feel it. When will I wake up so I can find another drink? Now, anybody who has had any real contact with alcohol or alcoholism, or anybody who is aware at all of the tendencies and tragedies of today's society knows how true every part of that passage is. Alcohol is alluring, 
And it's attractive, made even more so by our culture's advertisers. From the day of King Solomon, who who we think wrote this, right up to today, nothing has changed. Drugs and alcohol attract us by their promise of good times. Which is the big reason they're attractive to people who are looking for peace. Another reason is that their effects are numbing. They're insulators. When we drink enough, we forget life's troubles. And that's an attractive alternative to facing them. Because in a way, it sort of brings a kind of peace. The writer also says here that alcohol and other like drugs is a means of transport. They take your mind to places that are almost unimaginable. They give us more intense, beautiful mental images and feelings. And all those assertions are absolutely accurate. And they're seen by some as advantages. They are what differentiate alcoholic drinks from water and soft drinks. And these are the primary reasons people use it. The alluring nature of it and the escape from reality, even if only temporary, that it offers. Proverbs also admits, however, that alcohol is the source of woe and sorrow and strife. Complaints and even bruises. And even though this was written centuries ago, that is an amazingly accurate description of what we see in the news of our own alcohol and drug-soaked society. Now, of course, this is because the numbness toward our troubles that alcohol brings is just not real. It's an illusion that disappears. And often, in the return to reality that sobriety brings, the person finds their troubles multiplied because of what happened while they were intoxicated and out of full control of themselves. Think about this. How many unwanted, unplanned for children have been conceived because of loss of sexual control due to alcohol or some other mind-altering drug? And what happens to those children as they grow, if they're given opportunity to grow? How many relationships have been destroyed by words spoken under the influence of alcohol? How many young people have lost their virginity, their innocence, or have been violated in some other way because of someone's misuse of alcohol or of their own? Just think about how many bets have been made, fortunes lost, houses damaged, cars wrecked, Careers ended, households ruined, families blown apart, and children orphaned because of what happened when a person was intoxicated and unable to control their own actions. Proverbs 23 reminds us that if we want a complete picture of the effects of mind-altering drugs... We need to look past the TV commercials, and we also need to visit a hospital detox unit or a rescue mission 
or a homeless shelter or, or sit in on some family court sessions or go to just about any big city downtown back alley because that's where we'll find the full picture of the effects of alcohol and drugs. And that's why verse 35 there concludes that in the end, what seems so attractive bites like a snake. This actually uh, describes two types of of pain. Uh, The first is the pain of the moment. Because of the lack of control, you say things that get you into a fight or, or some other sort of conflict. And you get hit. And you get hit over and over, either physically or in some other way. Sometimes the hits come through print or electronic posts, don't they? Social media. You get hit. You're injured, even though at the moment you can't feel it because you're not in touch with reality. Those are the snake bites. But then come the longer-lasting effects, the poison. And there's many of those, but the potential for addiction is one. Even after getting beat up because of it, the person can't wait to start the process all over again. And so the cycle of this personal pain goes on and on and on. That's why at another place, Proverbs 20, the writer says simply, Wine is a mocker and beer is a brawler. Whoever is led astray by them is not wise. Which brings us back to wisdom. The book of Proverbs is a book that describes how life works and then calls us to make wise choices. Understanding the realities of our world in which we live and then use wisdom to determine how we will navigate that world. And any observant person surely recognizes that all of that needs to be a part of our decisions about alcohol use Because you see, wisdom is not just about what's allowed. Wisdom is about what is good judgment, what is best, what makes good sense when you consider all things. That's what God calls his people to do. But, you say, a question. Are all these verses speaking of everybody who drinks or just those who get drunk? That's an important clarification. Obviously, they're speaking of some level of drunkenness. People who are led astray by alcohol. And there are millions of people all around the world every day who drink but do not get drunk. So it's unfair and it's unscriptural for persons who don't drink to condemn the faith or the character of someone who does manage to drink without falling into drunkenness. At the same time, it is just as unfair and unscriptural for the drinking person to not take these strong warnings to heart. Particularly because, please hear this, as Christ followers, we are called to live in community with other persons who themselves have varying and unknown propensities, even within our families. A mark of spiritual maturity as persons and as societies is realizing 
that what we do affects the lives of other people. As human beings, and especially as Christians, we are responsible for another's well-being. So the question then becomes, is my doing this or that benefiting those around me or is it hurting them? And we go back to the Apostle Paul, who writes, just because something is permissible for me does not mean automatically that it is beneficial or that is constructive. Maturity means we consider not just what our rights are or what we may want. It means considering what is best, both for ourselves And for those for whom we are responsible. And to me, that is the strongest argument against the use of alcohol and like drugs. Is it permissible? Yeah, it's permissible. But is it beneficial? Is it wise? Especially in our time and day and culture. Is it wise? Is it worth the risks Since a mark of Christian maturity and responsibility is making sure we're looking out for the good of those around us. Why do we choose what we do and who really benefits from our choice? Christ followers have got to wrestle honestly with those questions. There is, however, at least one clear place in the Bible that argues for abstinence from alcohol. And that is Proverbs 31 text that David read for us, the sayings of King Lemuel given to him, interestingly, by his mother. Uh, Any mother who's watched her child suffer, either directly or, or indirectly, due to drugs or alcohol, can relate to this text. She claims that there's two things that'll become a problem to a king or a leader or whatever. Women and alcohol. (laughs) And notice she spends one verse discussing the dangers of women. And then the rest of the passage on the dangers of alcohol. And when you know how much trouble men can have because of women, that makes her emphasis a whole lot more significant. She says plainly in verse 4, It is not for kings to drink wine, nor for rulers to crave beer. The natural question then is why? And she answers that question in verse 5. Lest they drink and forget what the law decrees and deprive all the oppressed of their rights. That is an interesting and a telling answer. Now, a king, of course, is a person whom God has raised up to bear responsibility for the welfare of others. And a person with that kind of responsibility should never, according to Lemuel's mother here, should never put themselves in a position where their judgment and clarity might be compromised, not so much for their own sake, but for the sake of those for whom they are responsible. Lemuel's mother realized that even at their very best, you see, a leader is usually not sufficient for their responsibility. But a leader who is either intentionally or consequentially weakened in judgment can be a very dangerous person. Not only to themselves, but to many others 
to a whole family or to a whole city or to a whole nation. Now you say, but I'm no king and I'm no queen, so this does not apply to me. And I would say, oh, yes, it does. Lemuel's mother's words apply to all of us because we are all responsible for the good of others. And especially so as followers of Jesus. You would want this for someone in authority over you or leading you or making judgments with regard to you. I would want this too. How far would any of us trust a president or a governor or a teacher or a pastor or a financial advisor or a father or a mother or a friend, confidant, whose judgment has been compromised and something that comes along with that, whose lips have been loosened or whose typing has been loosened. Even by one or two drinks, or a joint, or a little pill, depending on their constitution. Can what they say be trusted? And how can you know for sure? How far would you trust a heart surgeon? Or a plastic surgeon? (laughs) Or a lawyer? Or a pilot? Or a police officer? Or a judge? Or an air traffic controller or an equipment operator who is not in complete control of all of his or her mental faculties as they do their work on you. Would you want your child to be operated on by a surgeon who lost count and just happened to have had a couple too many drinks at lunch? Would you want your third grader learning math from a teacher who came to class high? Are drunk drivers only dangerous? When they're headed for some other car, for your car, for the car that your kid is riding in. Winston Churchill once asked George Bernard Shaw, do you never really drink any wine at all? And Shaw replied, I'm hard enough to keep in order as it is. And you see, right there is exactly Lemuel's mother's argument. In humanity's fallen state, do we not already have enough trouble making right judgments and living sound and wise lives? Don't we already make plenty of mistakes just by being human? Why would we risk bringing any more chaos and inaccuracy into our lives and into our world than what is already present And out of our power to control. Is the use of mind-altering substances a wise, reasonable path to peace? Does the pleasure of the moment compete favorably with the potential for danger? Not only to us, but to those for whom we're responsible. That is the question the Bible calls us to ask. Now, as I said, all of this is true for a host of drugs. But even with the increasingly legal state of marijuana, the easiest and most tempting of all to use is still alcohol. It's a legalized drug. Its abuse is damaging to individuals, families, and society. It's unpredictably addictive. And its destructive effects cannot be fully 
measured or anticipated. Its abuse leaves a trail of broken marriages, families, violence, crime, loss, sickness, injury, and death. And that is true all over the world. All over the world. So, for the purpose of the good and the welfare of ourselves and of our families and of our societies, for the good of those for whom Christ says we are to love and for whom we are responsible, why would a person not avoid in every possible manner something as destructive as alcohol can be? Let me give another reason why I'm entirely comfortable advocating for abstinence. In my dad's family of 12 children, only one of his siblings drank, and he introduced alcohol into his own family. That brother of my dad's, my uncle, I never knew him because he died before I was born. He was the first one to die, first of the 12. He was the youngest to die by more than a decade. His children and grandchildren have had far, far more trouble than any of the others with divorce, alcoholism, family discord, and loss of jobs due to alcohol use. In Annette's family, my wife's family, on her mother's side where alcohol was very prevalent, both grandparents, both heavy drinkers, died before they reached 70. Her uncle, her mother's only sibling, died of liver problems due to alcohol in his early 60s. After being married three times, fathering two children that he never knew. In fact, the only two times Annette remembers her uncle not being drunk was the one and only time he visited their home and at his mother's funeral. Now, that is not to say that non-drinking members of these families were perfect. Far from it. But where alcohol was present, the problems were way more prevalent and way more serious. So in my own family history, the use of alcohol greatly exacerbates problems. Beyond that, I simply don't know the odds of one of my children becoming an alcoholic. Either with her first drink or over time. Beyond that, what about the child here in the church who might watch me drink and consider that license for them to drink? Are they predisposed to alcoholism? And that does exist, and we all understand that. What about people who come to our fellowship trying to recover from alcohol problems? What if they found alcohol at our social events? And they are tempted at church right back into a life that they have maybe worked for years to escape. I don't know the answer to those questions, but I've simply determined that it's not worth the risk. It's just not wise to find out. And even besides these things, when I give my children or other people advice or counsel, I want that to be as sound as can be, considering that I'm at best a fallen person who already makes tons of mistakes. You can ask my wife. I I don't agree with George Bernard Shaw on much, but I do agree with him on this. I'm hard enough to keep in order as it is without taking on anything that would cloud my judgment further. I bear responsibility for being Jesus to those around me. 
just as we all do who claim Christ as our Savior. So for all of these reasons, I can easily advocate for abstinence. Our world is looking for something better. Our world is something looking for some real, lasting peace. Jesus says he alone will be that peace that so many seek. But he also says that we, his church, represent him to our world. We are the salt of the earth. We are, Caitlin said, the light on a hill. And we want to be the most real, genuine, peace-filled examples of Christ that we can be. So, considering our culture, considering our own proclivities, known and unknown, considering our weaknesses naturally in us because of sin, considering the world's condition and the great need in our world for peace and considering our responsibility for the good and the well-being of others. I have to ask, we have to ask, what is wise for us to do regarding this issue? In many ways, this decision forms the future for us and for those around us. And let me say, if you're tired of the artificial peace that the world offers and you'd like to find something richer, something fuller. If you're here this morning looking for something that lasts, peace that lasts, please don't leave here today without getting to know Jesus. Either I and there's many others who would be happy to introduce you to him. Lord, help us to consider all of what your word says regarding intentionally altering our minds, our abilities, with alcohol or drugs or anything else that will do it. Lord, help us to be wise, to know what wise means, and help us to be gracious one to another as we pursue wisdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.